Hello and welcome to the SkillFlex capsule. This week joining us is Prabdeep Singh. He's the CEO and founder at Red Health. It was formerly known as Tan Plus. He comes with over 15 years of experience in healthcare and has also made it to the Forbes Asia 30 under 30 list in 2018. Thank you so much, Prabdeep, for joining us today. I think one of the most pertinent topics that has also come up in a lot of conversations that we've been having lately is that startups really find it very hard to prioritize L&Ds. And I'm particularly interested in talking to you because you've built a startup and you're at a stage where now you're looking at developing teams, but you're constantly, you know, managing multiple moving pieces. Before I ask you how learning fits in, I want to first know how each of these pieces work and where does learning stand in this at the moment? First of all, thank you, Iknur, for having me here. It is, it's a pleasure to speak to the audience here and talk about us as Red Health and how are we trying to solve for L&D requirements internally. Needless to say, I am acutely aware of why L&D is important for us, not only at the front lines, but at all levels of the organization, people who interface with the customer, people who interface internally. And I've realized that there are a lot of gaps that can be filled by both a formal L&D program and an informal on-the-job training that can be achieved through great mentors and leaders. Having said that, it's not easy. It's not easy to always prioritize it, right? You, you're, a startup is always about the adrenaline rush. And when adrenaline hits, a lot of blood is sucked away from your limbs and due to the core and to make sure that survival is the key, right? And in this very context of the world that we are in, a lot of startups are actually thinking, how are we going to survive the next quarter, next half or, or next year? And Perhaps organizational growth and development takes a back seat over organizational survival and sustenance. This is this is that caught me. This is a dilemma that I am certain a lot of startups are going through, a lot of founders are going through, a lot of mid managers are going through, and I am very sure that this conversation is going to a enable me to think aloud and also enable a lot of us in the audience to perhaps empathize and build structures internally. Absolutely. In fact, I'm very curious to know that as someone who's actually working with frontline teams, you know, primarily, right? Your, your entire business depends on how your frontline teams perform. What are the main challenges that you particularly face where you essentially think of learning, right? Where you feel like, okay, this is probably where I need to bring in some form of structured learning because otherwise your business will be affected. What are those challenges that you primarily face? Let's play a thought exercise. How many startups today enter your home and your bedroom? Uber, Ola, they, they stop at the gates, right? And Zomato, Swiggy, perhaps Amazon, Mintra, they come to your door. There are very few startups who actually enter your home. And I can count on fingers those companies that enter your bedroom or your washroom, very personal space. We as a company, we enter 
the bedrooms, the bathrooms. You know, a grandfather wakes up at 4 a.m. to have water, perhaps use the restroom, collapses. No one, no one cares about changing at that moment, right? And people call us and we show up. Now, here we are, the only startup, the only large company in our domain, entering people's bedrooms and washrooms when people are perhaps their most vulnerable, not dressed appropriately. Perhaps the home's not as clean as you will want to be when people outside outsiders come in, right? Now the question is, how well should my people be trained? There are two or three ways that experience can go. Either those people, my people show up and say, ma'am, don't worry, it's my job. I know how to save a life. That famous, the phrase song. I know how to handle this particular situation. I know I may have done this 1000 times, but for you, this is the most important moments in your life. I'll take care of that. You're in safe hands. Or it can be a person fumbling around, not knowing how to use the equipment, not knowing how to talk, looking at a wallet kept on the nightstand or a mobile phone being left unattended, right? That is, those are the complaints that our competitors are fighting. And here we are building Red Health as that experts who show up in your moments of crisis, in your moments of deep, deep vulnerability, so the question is not if we need LND. The question is how frequently can we do it? Can we do it with after every call? Can we do it before every call, right? So the way I think of it for me is not about yes or no. It's my survival. Training my people, holding them accountable, and making sure they are the best in the world is, is my DNA. It's not optional. So ignore, it's not only about those people that show up or people who are answering the phone calls, the dispatchers, right? I'm also, as a company, actively thinking about how do I train the folks who supervise them, the supervisors, right? But it doesn't end there. There's also a layer called city managers who are accountable to make sure that these folks are onboarded, they are trained, and then also audited if the, the training is proper or not, right? So for me, how well does a person perform on the front line is actually dependent on how much accountability and training sits one layer above and one layer behind them, right? Hence, as a company, especially because we are such a high-touch business, not only high-touch, but very high-impact business, it's important to think of l and not as a must, as a good to have, but actually as a must have. Now, the question that comes is, in a world where we are talking about survival, running out of money, how much does this side matter? How much does training matter? And this balance is something that I, as a CEO, consider it as my job. I don't outsource this job. This is my job. If I outsource it to my finance function, they will obviously take shorter term decisions. If I outsource it to my HR team alone, they will they will build the most complicated L&D program. If I give it to my business, they will focus on business priority, which is shorter term, which is growth, right? So for me, it's, it's a balancing act that I, in my office, have to deploy. In my OKRs, I have to program these so that these conflicts naturally 
get balanced. Let's break this down and double click on this a little bit, right? What do you do at the moment, right? And this is very critical to understand because you already, you're already operating in the market. You already have these concerns at the back of your head, right? That you want to solve for consistently. You, are, you just spoke about how your competitors are dealing with multiple complaints that you kind of give yourselves credit to not be part of, right? So how do you beat that? And what are you doing currently to ensure that you're a park away from what exists in the market? Absolutely. So the first thing that we do is we make sure that every frontliner is trained. And we've created our internal programs, but we also rely on external agencies to make sure that my pilot, my paramedic, my help staff, my dispatchers, the frontliners, there is no negotiation. They have to be trained. Some of these are courses that exist in the world. Some curricula we've created internally. And a blend of these is what goes out in, in as much as possible high-touch environment. But we're also starting to bring digital interventions around continuous learning. So practically speaking, if I'm hiring a pilot, a pilot is going to go through an onboarding training, a first aid course, a first responder course, a BLS course. And then on our application, the pilot is going to be trained behaviorally through gamification and through force learning a lot of life skills not only on top of their on top of their job skills so while i'm training a pilot on how to drive better i'm also training a pilot on how to behave better at the same time our rewards and our penalties are aligned to the behavior that we want to inculcate it's not enough to train a person it's also important to have a feedback loop and that feedback loop great feedback comes from the patient is to deliver a reward, the carrot, if you will. And if not great feedback comes, how do we ensure that that feedback is delivered to the pilot that because you did this, this happened, which is not acceptable. Next time, please do this, right? And it's almost at a CEO level, at my level, my job is to design holistic feedback loops for on-the-job training. But making sure that we have a we, we have a red start program internally in which everyone who joins in goes through a certain set of instructions, value coding, etc. Having said that, Ignor, if I if I were to admit, have we solved this at city supervisor level, at a city manager level, at you know, at people reporting to my level, we haven't, right? If you see what MNCs do really well, they make sure that. At all levels, there are designed L&D programs, well thought through on what are the needs of learning at that level. And then they design programs. We don't do that. We've not done that. And the next step perhaps for us will be to take the training at the front line and then make sure that we go one level up till, till that level reaches me. So basically ensuring that it is more interwoven into the entire process versus it just being focused on one team, uh, essentially, right? So more of a layered approach. What I also want to understand is that then in like in, a, in your current setup, what are the main points of friction? So of course, one of them is the fact that you'd like 
this to trickle back into different levels. But currently, what are the main points of friction that you face when it comes to, you know, delivering this learning? And you did mention that a lot of this learning is in is still following the traditional format. Do you face some form of a problem with adoption and reten knowledge retention, essentially? Is that something that you're dealing with? Or is there something else? Absolutely. Let's let's contextualize in the business that we do, right? How do I get to know whether my people have done a good job on the ground, right? It, it's through feedback loops, right? And there is no way for me to, uh, actually, there are ways, we don't deploy them, for me to sense that the learning that we are trying to deploy has not been captured well. But most of these are assessments, aren't they? So between an assessment and a patient dying, I actually need a lot of interventions to make sure that we are fulfilling our goal of imparting those lessons, those skills, those behavioral aspects of succeeding in our business, right? There are a few things that I believe that I as a company need to do better. One is figuring out what the right assessment tools for us are. How do I make sure that people I intend to train and eventually train are actually absorbing that and then deploying that knowledge at the time of the need, number one. Number two, I want to always, basis that feedback, always be auditing and recreating the courses, recreating the programs, right? So a feedback loop is super important there. And the third thing is, how do I make sure that I reduce the cost of learning here, right? I am in 20 cities, maybe in 500 cities in the next two years. In those 20 cities, if I have to run physical programs or do I run it centrally in four regions or is there a way that I can do on the job digitally, right? Is there a way that every time a trip gets completed, I could actually show a, a training video. I can actually tell them, hey, you did this right. You did this wrong. So for me, reducing the cost and friction of training is a super important bucket that I will invest in. So reducing the cost and friction of training, I think that's very, very relevant because I think that's also primarily what most organizations struggle with at this point of time, right? One of the main problems that we face specifically when it comes to sales teams, because they're playing with like massive targets, right? Is that no company wants to take them off the floor. I'm sure you've probably faced that as well, considering that you're in you also are in the entire emergency sector. It's very difficult for you to also pull your frontline team out of the job to train them. And doing that might also leads to like a loss of business money, just in general, clientele, client satisfaction. There are several factors involved. There are two sides to this question that I have. One is, what are the metrics that you really care about in this process? And B, how are you able to then basically balance out the time out of these teams with what you do? You're absolutely right. If you were to tell me to take my people out from my dispatch center or assistance center, it's not, it's not easy to plan that, right? Because we are rostered in a certain way. And these are life-saving calls. These are very important calls to take a person out 
is not an easy task. At the same time, it is so important, right? So uh, a tool, and I remember when we met for the first time, you mentioned that your tool allows that, a tool that allows in a gamified, on the job, without wasting a lot of time of, you know, I, if I don't have to dislodge them from their primary job, that, of course, right? At the same time, if it allows me to impart modular wisdom nuggets, you know, I just made up some words. So modular wisdom nuggets, right? Rather than coach eight hours worth of stuff in a day and then say, go, go hunt or rather teach them 10 minutes every day. That for me will lead to better absorption and behavior change. And as I said to you early on that I learn along the way for me, it, it, it sounds interesting to have on the job in a gamified modular wisdom nuggets way. Absolutely. There are, there are of course, input metrics and there are output metrics, right? At, at, at my end, at, at, in the chair that I sit, output metrics matter a lot, right? And that, of course, is sales productivity, client satisfaction, patient NPS, right? And overall market share that we have, et cetera, right? The big, the big tickets. Then there are a lot of input metrics that we track. And this is, this is where I have been in, in my journey as a CEO, in my thought process, as I was preparing for this, when I was thinking of L&D, right? A big question was, does our L&D need to be tracked down to metrics as an output? And I think it's, it's a short-term play there. L&D should be for, I want to track L&D and do L&D for the sake of L&D. And you know, what is the analogy that I use here? When I went for my second MBA at INSEAD, one of my professors told me, he said, MBA is not about your first job or the salary that you take, right? As you graduate, it's about your last job. 30 years hence. So what you will see in your graph, it's possible that initially the difference between the person with the highest offer and the lowest offer is this much. But what happens is that MBA, if you don't do your MBA or if you do your MBA, that last job delta or area under curve, right? That is what matters. And I truly believe it. If we look at it from a very myopic way, L&D, that how will imparting training lead to a better quarter? I think we'll be myopic and we'll not do justice to the industry or the company. What we need to look at is the long-term impact, the long-term reputational impact, the long-term sustainability of the company that arises out of that training efforts we put in. So I think of L&D in a very long-term holistic way and perhaps defining short-term KPIs or metrics over it will lead to false negatives that may lead to us shutting down that L&D efforts early on. Absolutely agreed. And it's also something that is kind of reinforced with continuous measurement as well, right? Because it's not something that you can typically prove or measure right in the beginning. Right? I think completely aligned, completely makes sense. We've spoken a lot about integrated, you know, on the job, 15 minutes kind of micro learning, which is gamified. This brings me to my next question, which is that there are so many AI tools out there today that allow you to impart learning in a very interactive format. Where do you think uh, we are at as a society and in general in the world of work when it comes to learning at the moment? 
And in your experience, you know, have you seen technology? Actually, let me rephrase that. How have you seen technology play a big role in just changing the way we learn today? ChatGPT4 subscription is fully reimbursed at Red Health, right? I actively encourage folks to utilize all the tools available that enable them to be more productive, right? I would rather people deliver more reliable, more volume of high quality output using AI, then keep crying about how AI is going to take their job away, right? So that's point number one. I want people to aggressively, almost to a fault, use all the tools available that are AI enabled, AI enhanced, or completely AI in doing a better job, right? That's point number one. That's that's pillar number one for us as I see AI. Second, enable integration of AI into our co-products. Before we do that, we want people at all levels to understand AI, understand what it can do on a day-to-day Example, I could have easily prepared for this podcast through ChatGPT for it. I could have typed five questions and it would have given me answers. Maybe it did, right? And then I want people to start thinking of how can they use various LLMs, AI models, and deploy these to our industry, our company, and our workflows. And then start thinking about building products that can be defined as AI for our customers. So that's how we think. I I, I believe that before we start building products that will be or can be defined as AI, I want people to get intimate with AI and use it to do their job better and increase the throughput of work. And if it means using it as a personal tutor, so be it. If it means using it as a personal secretary, so be it. And if it means using it as their manager, so be it, right? I want people to use it, be more productive and increase the throughput because I truly believe once you get better at it, you're going to actively start thinking how to deploy it in your workflows. That's going to be, that's going to enable us as a company to eventually launch products that can be defined as AI. So that's that's how I think of it. Makes complete sense. And is that what the future holds then? How do you look at the future of l and uh, Okay, let's let's narrow it down to India at the moment. And then... So for me, the biggest L&D requirement is I bring in a dispatcher. We train them on the job and we train them as they join through our Red Start program. Let's imagine, right? And then we say, go sit in a chair And now you're going to receive a call from mother talking about how her son is choking or a wife talking about how the husband is having a chest pain or a bystander talking about an accident that she's seen, right? Now, now you've got to really put yourself in that chair. I'm sitting in this chair and the first call I get is of that human in, in deep need of your expertise. Right. How how much can I train you? No matter, you know, as as they say, we all think we are prepared till we get hit on our till we get punched on our face. And that's where your game plan changes. So 
what we've done is our triaging today is AI led. So I could actually say chest pain, vomiting, nausea, 54 year man. And my system actually configures and says, here is what you tell the patient to do. So we are using through the largest trove of emergency data that we have, we are parsing that data through this particular calls requirement and enabling our dispatchers to triage in a very AI enabled way so that we want 70% of the job to be done by AI and 30% we want human to tell a human, don't worry, I'm there for you. And ignore this is this is this is the funny part, right? As businesses grow, a lot of promoters, a lot of founders actually get to train themselves to be better CEOs. I have never led a company this large. And that is a truth. I look in the mirror and ask myself every morning because every day the company is growing and every day this company is larger than the than any company that I have led before. So training me and my ability to lead this company, not only today, but next year and the year after, is an important need. I have made it a pledge that every five years, I'm going to get significant education. But as the company is growing fast, as we have new and new disruptions that are coming in faster and faster, I'm realizing that even five years is too long. We, we I need to bring it down to perhaps annual or semi-annual. And I would encourage all promoters, founders, CEOs to actually first learn and create a learning atmosphere around them. And then you replace a manager. You know, I'm a very, very, very big fan of Peter Principle. Peter Principle says that you're only going to rise to your level of incompetency, right? And I, first of all, I deploy Peter Principle to myself that where does my incompetence lie? And am I rising to that? And I want to make sure this level goes up and then I rise to that, right? How do you do that? You do that through active L&D. You do that through active surrounding yourself with better and better people, right? As a founder, you have this privilege that you can actually rise to your level above your incompetence. We've seen examples of that, right? But that is where you surround yourself with great people who impart the learning who actively develop you. So I am brutally honest about my learning requirements. How can my pilot and dispatcher and paramedic not be? One of the biggest reasons that most people actually do not adopt learning is because they feel like they know it. But when it trickles down from the top and when the senior most person in the organization says, hey, even I need to learn. So, so do you. It just makes learning something that people look forward to and want to adopt. Right. So I think I think that is what I'll take as the big message of our conversation today, because I think at the end of the day, talking about prioritizing LNDs on one side, but what what has been really interesting to have emerged through this conversation is that it's not something that you need to think about. It's something that, you know, you need, but it's about how are you going to implement it and in what in what format, essentially. So. Thank you so much. Any any parting thoughts, Prabhdeep, before we wrap up this discussion? I like to summarize my thoughts. So if I were to give a TLDR, it's what are the what are your customers slash consumers expectation and needs? How do they look at you? 
design, as I mentioned, the person who's fallen and wants us to come in essentially is vulnerable and asks us to be experts during those times, right? With that achieved, I can design my L&D program for that objective. I would start with the frontliners, of course, because that's my course of business, but a lot of people would do it for sales, for their customer success teams, for, for the mid-management team, for their tech and ops as well, right? But I will start there because I bring in everyone else who I believe is at least 75-80% trained for the job that they are supposed to do. But my frontliners, I need them to fully be imbibing my values and be focused on our patient, right? Design it for the frontliners. Make sure that the frontliner supervisors getting trained as well and their supervisors held accountable for that training. Figure out long-term output measurement and short-term input measurement rather than otherwise. Enable low-cost, high-touch slash digital initiatives for L&D. And please think of learning and development not from only ground up, but also top down. Peter principle matters. And every founder promoter is going to hit that Peter principle sooner than later because the company is growing perhaps faster than your learning. And that humility is super important. And once you start thinking of yourself in that framework, we will make sure that we train the entire organization because if it's happening to you, it's happening to everyone else in the organization that is growing this fast. Makes absolute sense. And I think that was the perfect way to wrap up this discussion. Thank you so much, Prabhdeep, for joining us today. I think all our listeners have taken away a lot from this conversation. Thank you for having me, Knur. I hope I added value to you and your listeners. Thank you.